Today is the start of the Advent season. It also marks something of an anniversary for our family. Four years ago today, on December 1st, we landed at the Burlington Airport and we started our new lives here in Vermont. And I thought I would share with you an unusual metric from those first four years. In the first 48 months of our, our lives here, we have purchased, well, we've purchased, we purchased one home. We've lived in two different homes. But I bet we have gone through probably two or maybe even three dozen light bulbs, which in my mind seems like an awful large number of light bulbs in a short period of time. Seems like every few months, a couple of our light bulbs go kaput, and we're changing them out. Even these new LED bulbs that promise to last for 10 years or 20 years or whatever it is, sometimes it's like three months in, they're already gone. For whatever reason, we have a difficult time sustaining the brightness of our homes. In contrast to that, this week I was reading about something called the centennial bulb. This is an individual, particular light bulb. It has its own web page. They've made movies about this light bulb. It has its own birthday parties. And that's because this particular light bulb, it was designed in the 1890s. And there is, is one you know, example of this particular bulb left. It's in a fire department, a fire station in a small town in California. And they estimate that it's been burning more or less continuously for the last 118 years. Still going. I think it's got about four watts of brightness left in it as it, as it burns right now. You can actually, there's a webcam. You can go see this thing burn live. Pretty exciting. Today, the, uh, the light bulb has its own dedicated power supply, so if the power goes out, it doesn't, it doesn't go off. There's a whole team of people and engineers in that community dedicated to, to making this thing burn for as long as it possibly can. And it almost seems like a, a protest to this idea of planned obsolescence, right, of, of things that wear out quickly and frequently. And I know in, in our modern world, there are some things that we're okay with being disposable, with, with having to replace with great frequency, right? Whether it's light bulbs or paper plates, right? We, we're willing to, to deal with kind of this disposable culture if we assume that the, the period of time we need something is relatively short, right? If we only need it for a short period of time, it's okay if it, it wears out. When our family was moving every few years around the world, most of the furniture we bought came from places like Ikea. And you know if you buy a piece of furniture from Ikea that going in, you're probably not going to have arguments among your great-grandchildren about who gets this flimsy bookshelf that's you know, sort of pinned together. And, right? It, it's an obvious sort of fact that it, it's not going to hold up very long. But there are other things, right, that we need to sustain, that we need endurance in. Right? There are other things that need to last. And typically, those things which are lasting are also more costly. Right? We have to invest in them. 
Today's Advent parable that we're going to look at in Matthew 25, it challenges us to think about this question, about endurance, about lasting, about staying power. And it asks us to think critically as Advent begins, not just about our lives as consumers and what we buy and the stuff we bring home, but it asks us to think about as human beings, where are we willing to make costly long-term investments, right? What matters to us? What needs to last in our lives? The beginning of Advent is this time where the church sort of focuses and turns its attention to a future time. As much as we think about the past and the Christmas story in the Gospels, Advent is also a time where we're supposed to think forward to the time where Christ will come again and will return to his church. And as we think about the the coming of Christ, we're asked to make a choice about what kind of spiritual lives, what kind of discipleship will we invest in? And are we going to be fickle consumers of of spiritual things that that quickly become obsolete? You know, are are our investments minimal and therefore our returns minimal as well? Or will we be a people who are committed to costly discipleship? Right? Sustained discipleship. So that that the luminescence of God's spirit, uh, of the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ in our life, burns brightly and, and fully. As Jesus asks us here in Matthew 25 today, on that future day when he comes again to the earth, will our lamps, will our lights still be burning brightly? Or will they have been neglected and extinguished as a result? Do you turn with me to Matthew chapter 25? Let me pray for us as we look into the word of God today together. Jesus, we praise your name, that you are the one who speaks and the darkness becomes light. You are the the one who speaks and that which is chaos becomes ordered. That which is broken and out of joint is healed. Lord, you have invited us to follow you, to be your people. Lord, would you make us ready? Would you prepare us for your coming? Lord, I pray this morning as I teach, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew 25. And you'll notice, if you were to to look at the context there, that this is one of several parables contained in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And they're near the end of the gospel. Right? Matthew 25 comes before Matthew 26. Matthew 26 is the start of, of the Passion Week, of the betrayal of Jesus, of his going to the cross, offering his life for us. So my very astute 10-year-old daughter asked me earlier this week when she said, What are you preaching about, Dad? 
She said, isn't this more of like an Easter or a Good Friday passage? How does this have to do with Christmas and Advent? It's a good question. Well, I suppose we could preach that text at that time. But here, again, Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 is answering the disciples' questions about when God will fulfill his promise to, to restore Israel. Right? When, when will the fullness of God's kingdom come? When will, when will God fulfill his purpose in history? And as Jesus answers that question for them, he reveals to them that his first coming, right, that, that first century God made flesh in Jesus, that first coming would not be his last. But there is another advent, another time that God's people need to prepare for, where he will come again. And so that is what we look for here and in this season of Advent, right? the promise of Jesus to make all things new and to come back for his people. Let me read Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Jesus said to them, At that time, meaning at the time he is to come again, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And these virgins are are bridesmaids, you'll see. Now five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. There in the last verse, verse 13, Jesus tells us that this is a story. It's a parable about watching and waiting. Waiting for him to come. Now if we, if we look at the New Testament, we know that in the fullness of time, it says, as Israel watched and waited for Messiah to come, that Jesus came to the earth. John's Gospel says he was the Word of God taken on flesh. He was the Son of God crucified for us. He was 
the Lord who would reign victorious and, and rise victorious over death. And in that, that first coming of Jesus, right, Scripture proclaims that, that Jesus did all this. He came to the earth. He died for us. He rose again. He ascended to the right hand of God in order to, to rescue and make a people for himself. To pull us out of darkness and deliver us, Colossians 1 says, into his glorious kingdom of light. And the teaching of the New Testament is that, that even as Jesus is in the heavenly realms now, he is, he is preparing, he is working, he is building right, the realities and the powers of heaven to come again to the earth in fullness, right? for, for God's kingdom to come on the earth. And his promise is that he will lead that coming. He will bring heaven down with him one day. The central question in this parable is, will we be ready on that day? Will we still be keeping watch on that day? And in particular, these parables ask, how are we waiting? How are we watching? What's the quality of our, our waiting in this time period? So to help us understand that, to help us imagine that, Jesus gives us these parables. And in this particular parable, he says there are ten young women. Ten bridesmaids. And they've all been invited to be key players at the most joyous, the the culminating moment of a wedding celebration. Again, Jesus is speaking in his own culture, his own context where weddings would often be a week long in the celebration. Vanderplugs, can you imagine financing a week-long celebration? Maybe not. But here in this story, right, the, the week of, of celebrating and preparing has, has almost come to an end. Everyone has has been feasting and and visiting together. And now on this last day of the wedding, the bride, along with her her bridesmaids, have have been sent back to the bride's home, most likely. And it's there that they wait for the last bit of drama to unfold. Because on that night, as they went back to the bride's home, they they would wait and they would watch and they would listen for the voice of the bridegroom and his procession to come close to the bride's home. And the way this was meant to play out is that when they heard the procession drawing near, then then the bridesmaids would rush together with the bride, torches ablaze in the night, and they they would meet the bridegroom, and together as one procession, they would go to the new home, which had been prepared for the bride and bridegroom to share together. This would be the the culminating moment that everyone had waited for that week. But of course, there's there's a problem here. There's a sticking point in this parable. The problem, at least initially, is that the bridegroom is taking longer than expected. Something has delayed the bridegroom. And so these these ten young women, together with the bride who's not mentioned here, they're left to wait and to watch and to wonder, where is he? You and I may be able to empathize 
with these women. You may have given a good portion of your time, your talent, your energy, your focus to follow Jesus wherever he would lead you, to belong to and to be part of his church. But as you do that, maybe you you feel like as you look around you that the signs of, of darkness and night continue to grow. Things get difficult. And you may wonder, is Jesus still coming? As I watch and as I wait, is Jesus watching and knowing what's happening with me? Is he really coming for his people? And we we sense the night growing long. And like the women in this parable... Right, we, we can grow drowsy. Understandably, we, we need, may need times of, of rest in the midst of that waiting. But these women, it says, as, as the waiting was extended and, and they were wondering where the bridegroom was, they grew drowsy and they probably you know, allowed these lamps to begin to dim somewhat. And they fall asleep for a period of time. The critical moment, though, for them and for, that, for us come in verse 6. In verse 6, it says that the cry goes out into the village. The, the, bride, the bridegroom's procession is, is coming. He's here. The bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him, it says. And at that point, these ten young women wake up. Half of them... Awake with joy. And they awake with joy because they have invested in something. They have invested themselves in sustained illumination. We're told earlier in the parable that each of them, in addition to, to bringing a lamp or a torch with them that night, they also purchased a jar of oil. And and likely these are not lamps like we think of that you would carry in in some kind of metal or glass container. Probably these are torches which were wrapped with rags and and dipped or soaked in oil to begin and they would be lit. But they may only only burn for a period of, of a half an hour or so before they would need to be dipped again in oil to keep the flame burning. Right, but these first five, they awake with joy because as they notice their torches beginning to, to go out, they can quickly rekindle that flame, that ball of fire, with that reserve supply of oil. And with torches blazing, they start to head off in the direction of the bridegroom's voice. But the other half of this wedding party... They wake up full of anxiety. And instead of that, that long-awaited voice of the grooms coming, filling them with joy, instead now it's met with dread in their hearts. Because before all of this has taken place, they made a different choice. Right? They bet on the short side of things. They assumed that, that the bridegroom would come quickly. And they they were happy enough at the beginning of this wedding festivity to 
to, to be part of things. They were happy enough to pick up a torch and join the festivities. But these other five, they never gave much thought to sustaining their brightness. They never thought much about how they would keep that lamp burning. And so now as they wake up, they're empty-handed. They're out of place. They're literally left waiting in the dark. And the question I think that this parable asks, the question that we probably ask, is one that the great preacher Fleming Fleming Rutledge has asked as well. She asks, what is it that's in those lamps? Right? What is it that keeps them burning through the long night? Right? What are those reserve supplies of oil that these bridemaids have prepared? Rutledge says, metaphorically speaking, it's, it's the faithful soaking of, of our lives, like those rags in the oil of worship, in the oil of of God's word and the scriptures preparing us, in the oil of of prayer that sustains us, the oil of of fellowship that that brings us together and encourages us as we wait. That might be one interpretation of, of what's in those lamps. What is that oil that sustains them? Great 20th century theologian Karl Barth compares the oil in these lamps to the witness of God's spirit to the church who continues to speak and prepare and guide God's people through this season of waiting and darkness. And one other preacher, Dale Bruner, he likens the, the oil in these two different groups first five and the last five. He says the, the last five, they had the fast-burning oil of enthusiastic Christianity. They were willing to jump in and, and be part of whatever was going on. But what they lacked was the enduring oil of discipled Christianity. He says what they needed to sustain them was a life of patient listening to the word of God. And continual repenting under the conviction and the power of that word spoken to them. So today, as we continue with our worship, as we begin these next 25 days of Advent, let me challenge you to think about what what are you putting into the lamp of your worship and waiting and watching and it's not it's not willpower, it's not resolve per se, but it's, it's inviting the Spirit of God, the person of Jesus, to trim that lamp, to add the oil that he can supply to his people. Right? How are we choosing and investing to remain burning in this time of waiting? As we do that, it's important that we come together, that we encourage each other right, to keep watch keep wait, and to keep praying the prayer of the church in the New Testament, right? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Do you pray with me? Lord, I pray that the 
power of your spirit cause us to burn brighter. Lord, I pray for the power of your spirit to sustain us. I pray for those of us who might be here this morning and feel like the oil in our lamp might be just about gone, burning ever so dimly, and we're weary. We feel like we've been waiting a long time for your return and your coming. Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice. Your voice would supply them with sustenance. Lord, that the people of God would surround them, hold up their hands to pray. Lord, that we would continue to live under the renewing power of your word and your spirit and your life within the church. Jesus, we pray, come. Come soon. Amen.